committing all that I am and all that I have to the leadership and the lordship of Jesus Christ. That stewardship. And that's been our emphasis in this new sermon series that we started a couple of weeks ago. His call for my all. Giving all of you for all of him. And it goes right along with our theme for this year, all in. Loving the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind, which Jesus said is the first and great commandment. So if you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to join me this morning in the Old Testament. The book of 2 Kings, Old Testament, book of 2 Kings, it's sandwiched between 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles. So if you're in Samuel, keep pedaling forward. If you get to Chronicles, you pedal too fast, you need to back up a little bit and find your way there in 2 Kings this morning as we consider yet another area of stewardship, perhaps one that we wouldn't normally think of when we when we consider the subject of stewardship, but I certainly uh, think that it is. Now, last week, if you were here, you know that we talked about the stewardship of our gifts, and we talked about those putting together the and using well those special abilities that we were given by the Holy Spirit at the time of our salvation, those things that enable us to perform a meaningful function in the church with ease and effectiveness. Now the truth is we may all be able to do some of the same things, but some people, for some people it's just easy for them. Uh, it just comes natural for them, it's easy for them, it's where they feel comfortable, it's where they feel they are the most effective, and that's probably because that's their spiritual gift. They use the gift of mercy in whatever ministry they're involved in, they, the gift of administration, the gift of leadership, the, the gift of giving. There are so many gifts that are mentioned in the Bible, and, and the truth of the matter is, uh, God wants us to use our gifts well as we function within the context of local church ministry. And he wants us to do that to be a blessing to others. And, and I'll be honest, I, I had to fly out for Baltimore Sunday afternoon, and so Brother Tyler handled the service Sunday night, and we talked on Sunday evening. Let me tell you, I'm, I'm thankful for the response to the challenge last Sunday, both Sunday morning and Sunday night. And, and those of you who came to our ministry staff, uh, either then or during the week, I even got a message this week. from somebody said, Pastor, I want to be all in. I want to get in. I want to be all in, not just part in. I want to be all in. So here's the ministries that I want to get involved in. Let me tell you, this church is going to be a better place because of your involvement. And because of your willingness to step up and say, I want to be used of the Lord. And the truth of the matter is this morning, God expects us to use everything that he has entrusted us with, including, and here's our focus today, including the good news of the gospel. You see, what we do with the message that Jesus saves is very, very important to the Lord. And so if you found 2 Kings chapter 
uh, or the book of 2 Kings, I want you to join me in chapter 7 this morning. 2 Kings chapter 7. Because in this chapter, we find a story that, that I believe is a really good reminder of our obligation to be a good manager of the gospel. And just let me be clear this morning, when I, when I talk about the gospel, here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the truth concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the difference that it can make in someone's life. Listen, we all have the truth in the Word of God. We all have the gospel in, in, in the scriptures, the, 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 the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and story after story after story of how that truth changed people's lives. Brother Tyler made mention of this earlier. You are sitting in a room this morning with changed lives because of the gospel. I mean, I could just start pointing at people, and they could start telling you about their life before Christ, and now their life after Christ, and they'll tell you it's because of the gospel. It's because of, uh, of what that story did in my life. Now, let me give you a, a little bit of historical background. I don't want to get bogged down in this, but I think it'll help us to understand the context of what we're going to read this morning. The kingdom of David which was later passed on to his son Solomon, was known as the kingdom of Israel. After Solomon died, there was a civil war, and the kingdom of, of Israel was then divided into two different kingdoms. There was the southern kingdom that was referred to as Judah, and there was the northern part of the kingdom which retained the the name Israel. So as we come to our, excuse me, our text this morning, the northern kingdom of Israel is, is what we're reading about. And they had come under siege by the Syrian army. The city was surrounded. All supplies were cut off. And as we're going to see, the food situation was very, very desperate. Listen, things, things had gotten so bad, and you, you, can, you can read around in these verses and find out for yourself, but things had gotten so bad that people were surviving on donkey heads and dove's dung. That's pretty bad. Now, I'm a picky eater. I probably would have died. They were surviving. You say, that's gross. Yeah, it is. They were surviving on donkey heads and dove's dung. And if you really want to know how bad it was, read the story in chapter 6 where two women agreed that they would, one would boil their child one day and one would boil her child the next day. And what happened? They boiled the first child the first day. They... It, Serious, they had gotten so bad they had resorted to cannibalism. They ate that child. The child that was to be eaten the second day, boiled and eaten to survive the second day, the wife hid it. Now you can read about it. You say, preacher, that's wild. I, I agree, it is. But I'm trying to give you the context of how bad things were in, in the, the, the nation of Israel. So they were literally starving to death. There was no way out, no way of escape, 
and they were vastly outnumbered by one of the most powerful armies in the world. Flight was impossible. Fight was out of the question. And so fright ruled the day. And that brings us to our text this morning in the story of four lepers and the situation they faced, the salvation they found, and the obligation they felt. So let's begin reading this morning. Are you with me? All right, let's begin reading this morning in verse 3. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. In other words, they, as lepers, they were forced to live outside of, of society. They were not allowed to exist within the gates of the city. And so they were living on the outside of the city. They were by the gate. And they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? Verse 4, if we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall under the host of the Syrians, and if they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So these four men were afflicted with a terrible disease that deformed and destroyed their bodies. If you've never, if you've never seen a person with leprosy, I've never seen one in person. I've seen pictures. I would encourage you to Google pictures of of leprosy and the effects that it has on the human body. It rots off fingers and toes and ears and noses and lips. It's, it's a horrendous disease. It was incurable. So outside of any divine intervention, the only thing that these men, these men had to look forward to was death. And so you say, well, Pastor, what does that have to do with us? And I would, I would make this application today. Though we were not like these men physically, every one of us here at one point in our lives were like them spiritually. That is, every one of us were spiritually diseased. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us we were born that way. We were born with, with this defect called sin. Paul put it like this in Romans chapter 5, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, that would be the man Adam, Genesis uh, chapter, chapter 3 there, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. You say, Pastor, why do people die? Because of Adam's sin. Death passed upon all men. I'm going to pray this afternoon with a family whose husband is, is dying of cancer. Why is that happening? I know they have questions. Why is this happening? Why is this going on? Why is he going to die? Why am I going to lose my husband? Why are we going to lose our father? Because of sin? Because of Adam's sin? Wherefore, as by one man Adam's sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death, now he's talking about spiritual death, passed upon all men, 
for that all have sinned. The fact that we were born with the disease of sin meant that outside, just like these lepers, outside of divine intervention, we were destined to die and spend eternity separated from God. That was our destiny. But these four lepers experienced some divine intervention. Let me show you. It's seen in the salvation that they found. Let's continue reading verse 5. And they rose up. So here they are. They're sitting outside the gate. And they asked themselves this question. Why are we just waiting to die? Uh, here are our options. We can go into the city where there's a famine and we're going to end up dying there. Obviously, if we just stay where we're at, we're going to die. So how about this? How about let's just throw ourselves upon the mercy of the Syrians. If they choose to feed us, uh, then we'll live. If they choose not to feed us, then hey, we're, we're going to die anyway. And so in verse 5, it says that they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. How many of you believe we have a great God? Absolutely. Here's some divine intervention. These, these men are going. They decide they'll, they'll throw themselves upon the mercy of the Syrians. They get to the edge of the camp, and they're not seeing anyone. Here's what had happened. In the night, God had, had made them to hear a noise of chariots and horses and, and a great host. And here's what, they, here's what they thought was happening. Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when the lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and, and went and hid it. And then they came again and entered into another tent and carried there also and went and hid it. What an amazing story. These men, one, one moment they're dying. They have no hope of living. But because God intervened, now they're not just alive. I mean, they're going from tent to tent, and they're eating all they can eat, and, and, and they're, they're stuffing their pockets, and they're loading themselves up with, with all kinds of things, and they're running over here, and they're hiding it. They're coming back, they're doing it again, and they're running over here, and they're hiding it. And, and they, they keep doing this. Let me ask you something this morning. Do you remember when you were first made aware of your need of Christ? Do you remember when that was? Do you remember where that was? For me, it was the first time I visited this church as a teenager. And I had gone with friends and, and, and other families to, to various, not being raised in a Christian home, uh, God made sure that, that I always had some kind of religious influence in my life, and I'm thankful for that. And there were families and friends that took me under their wing. And, and, and so I had been to other churches, but I had never really been exposed to the gospel. I'd never really been made to see that I had a need in my life and that that need was Jesus Christ. 
It wasn't until I, I came here and heard the preaching that I understood that I was lost. I began to understand that, that I was spiritually dead and that only Christ could save me and give me spiritual life. And I'm thankful, listen, I'm thankful to, uh, this morning for that, that night, it was a Wednesday in September of 1976, when I went to my youth pastor and I responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that night I was saved, and I'm thankful for that. And though I didn't know it at the time of my salvation, that was 1976, you can do the math, that was a long time ago. That was a lot of hair ago. And I didn't know everything that it meant to be saved. But as I've come along and I've grown in the Lord, I've since come to understand the blessings of the life that I was given that night in Christ. The lepers in our story were just hoping the Syrians would give them enough food and water to keep them alive. But God gave them so much more than that he gave them everything. And I am so thankful that God has given me so much more than just salvation. Oh, listen, not that that's not enough. It is. But from what I understand now, being saved all of these years and, and trying to be a student of the Word of God, I understand that He has given me so much more than just salvation. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that God blesses the saved with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Listen, God doesn't hold back anything from those who belong to him. Now, please understand this morning that I'm, I'm not standing here saying that I'm worthy of these things or that somehow I... I'm deserving of all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ because I'm not. This is not about my goodness. This is about God's grace. This is about God granting me kindness in excess of what I could ever deserve. And if you're here today and you're saved, God's done the same thing for you. Not because you're good, but because He's good. But as we bask in the blessings of God's grace and salvation, like the lepers in our story, we do not well, church, if we fail to share those blessings with others by telling them how they can enjoy what we're enjoying. Thus we see the obligation that they felt. Verse 7, or excuse me, verse 8. I want to read it again. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried then silver and gold and raiment and they went and hid it, and they came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and, and went and hid it. Look at verse 9. Then they said one to another, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. 
Imagine the scene here as these starving lepers came upon the abandoned camp of the Syrian army. They had left everything behind when they fled. And so these men were, were running in and out of, of every tent with their stomachs full of food and their pockets full of treasure and their arms full of clothes. I mean, it was, it was better than anything they could have ever imagined. But as they were enjoying it all, they began to think about those in the city who didn't know what they knew, who were not getting to enjoy what they were enjoying. And they came to this sobering conclusion. We do not well. I submit to you this morning that when we have been the recipients of God's best blessings, starting with salvation, and we do not share with others what we have and how we received it. Listen, church, we do not well. How many of you would agree this morning that the day you heard the gospel and was saved was a day of glad tidings? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, again, I want you to understand this. It wasn't the fact that these lepers were finally getting something to eat and drink that convicted them. It was the fact that there was an entire nation literally starving to death. And here they were hiding the solution to the problem. I mean, you read what I read. They would, they would grab stuff, and they'd run over here, and they would hide it. And they would grab something else, and they'd run over there and hide it. And they would grab something else, and so they're grabbing stuff, and they're hiding it everywhere that they could find to hide it. But yet, not too far in the distance was a nation that was starving to death. Listen, I don't think we, we should ever feel guilty or have to apologize for being saved. The fact that, that as saved people, we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Listen, that's nothing to be convicted about. That's nothing to feel bad about. But we should be convicted at the fact that there are people all around us who have not gotten in on that blessing because they're not saved. And they're not saved because they've never heard the gospel and they haven't heard the gospel because some of us haven't shared it with them. Here we are, we're in church and we're enjoying fellowship with one another and we're enjoying worshiping the Lord and, and we're enjoying knowing that, that we're saved for all of eternity and nothing can ever take that from us and we're safe and we're secure in our salvation when there are people outside of these walls today who don't know that. They don't get to enjoy that. Some of that 
falls on us. Because some of those people are people we know. They're people we work with. They're people we grew up with. In some cases, they may be people we live with. And here we are today, and we're soaking it all up, and, and we're enjoying it. But in essence, we're hiding it from others around us. We have not been good stewards of the good news. You tracking with me? Like these lepers in our story, we've been guilty of, of committing what has been called the sin of the desert. You know what the sin of the desert is? The sin of the desert is knowing where water is, but not telling anybody else how to get to it. Who was it this morning that told you about Jesus? Think about that for a minute. Who was it that told you about Jesus? Aren't you glad they didn't keep it to themselves? Consider this. Could a mariner sit idle if he heard the drowning cry? Could a doctor sit in comfort and just let his patients die? Could a fireman sit idle, let men burn and give no hand? Can we sit at ease in Zion, in our padded chairs, enjoying a full choir and great musicians and great special and halfway decent preaching great facilities great children's ministries great youth ministry can we just sit here with the world around us damned we do not well if we hold our peace and fail to tell others about Christ and the salvation that is to be found in Him. Look at verse 9. Then they said one to another, we, we do not well. This is a day of good tidings. And we hold our peace. Verse, the second part says, if we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. In other words, they said, listen, this is so good. We can't wait. We can't afford to wait until in the morning. We need to go now. You see, these lepers knew that their great discovery also meant great responsibility. And great accountability. I mean, think about this this morning. What do you suppose would have happened had those back in the city found out that these lepers had what they needed to live, but they weren't willing to share it? What do you suppose would have happened had some mother or father whose child had died of starvation found these men and found out that they could have helped, but they didn't? 
How do you think those who were trying to survive on, on, on the heads of donkeys and the, the dung of doves, how do you think they would have felt had they stumbled across these men as they were stuffing their mouths with food and water? But they didn't take time to go and tell the city who was dying what they had found. What about that mom over there in 2 Kings? whose child had been boiled and whose flesh had been eaten just to survive. How do you think she would have felt? These lepers could not have been more right when they said, we do not well. And we do not well. When we fail to share the good news of the gospel with those around us. The prophet Ezekiel put it very strongly when he said this. Son of man, I have made thee a watchman under the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But look at this church. His blood will I require at thine hand. It grieves me this morning to stand before you as a man with blood on his hand. You see, there are people, after I got saved, there were people that I could have told about Jesus. I could have handed them a gospel tract. I could have invited them to church. But I didn't. And now I don't have that opportunity. Because they're no longer living. And unless something happened that I'm not aware of, they went into eternity lost spend eternity in hell when maybe I could have done something. Maybe I could have said something. Maybe I could have just snuck a track in their car somewhere, in a book somewhere, left it laying somewhere where they would have found it. Maybe I could have just invited them to church and let the pastor stand and tell them about the gospel. Don't let that be your story. Don't fail to share the good news of the gospel with your family and with your friends who you know right now are without Christ. As I already alluded to, at the very least, give them a gospel tract. 
That's why we have that stuff out in the foyer. I love telling this story. Several years ago, I was going to the hospital to, to uh, make a hospital visit, and I had a tract with me, so I just dropped it on the floor of the elevator, hoping somebody would pick it up and read it. Well, I get up, and I'm visiting the people that I went to visit, and then one of our ladies, she comes into the room, too, and she says, Pastor, look what I found. Ah, no! Leave that there. That wasn't for you. <laughs> so now at the hospital, I'll just I'll go in the little waiting room there, and I'll, I'll, I'll throw some on the table. You never know what that's going to do. But listen, church, I'm telling you, we've got a responsibility. We can't keep all of this to ourselves. Look at verse 10. We'll wrap it up. So they came and called unto the porter of the city, and they told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man, but horses tied, and asses tied, and the tents as they were. So once it dawned upon these lepers that they weren't doing well in keeping what they had discovered to themselves, they went and they shared the good news. And an entire city was saved from starvation. Our responsibility, listen, it's not to save an entire city all at once by ourselves. Our responsibility is to reach our city and those around our city one soul at a time. And if we're not even making an effort to do that, then we're not doing well. We're just not doing well. And we should do better. Would you agree? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning.